Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Jeeva Mazavarian, and I'm here today with pharmacist and MPF volunteer Dr. Kim Benner, who lives with psoriasis, to discuss tips for speaking with your healthcare provider about your psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, as well as key terminology to know and what questions to ask about medications. Kim is board certified in pharmacotherapy and holds a doctorate degree. She's also a practicing pharmacist at Children's of Alabama and pharmacy professor at Samford University in Alabama. She teaches dermatology pharmacology at the University of Alabama Birmingham Medical School. She's an author, national speaker, and a member of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists Board of Directors. Welcome, Kim, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. I'm sure you know how important good communication is when working with a healthcare provider. I'm wondering what tips you can offer our listeners for communicating with our healthcare providers. What do you feel is the most important thing to know? Yes, thank you so much for having me. And those are really great questions. So I think some really good tips are to really be open and honest with your provider. And probably my most important tip is that it's really best to tell your provider exactly what your concerns and issues are. Like, are they your psoriatic lesions more bothersome on your face or hands? Is the therapy prescribed for you just not working, even though they told you it would? That's probably the most important tip is that you really let them know if something's just not working for you. And don't be embarrassed by any of your issues. I promise you they've heard it before and may have a really good solution for you once they've heard all your concerns. It's also important for the caregiver to ask relevant questions and express their concerns. And I'll tell you the example of my own teenage son who has lesions all over his body. He was told by his provider, just try this ointment on your lesions. Well, he always wears hoodies and likely due to being self-conscious. And if you've never put an ointment and then a hoodie on, it doesn't work very well and can get pretty gross. The provider potentially did not take the teenager's self-consciousness into consideration, and he was too embarrassed and scared to tell the provider that it just wasn't working. So in a situation like that, his caregiver, myself, um, had to speak up to address all the concerns on behalf of their patient. So it's important to get all the information you need and to speak up if you're someone else's advocate about what is working or not working about your therapy. And Kim, would you agree that part of that communication includes understanding psoriatic disease and knowing what to ask? What terminology do you feel someone should know that might help improve understanding their disease and therefore their communication with their healthcare provider? Absolutely. I do agree that knowing something basic about your disease and knowing what to ask really will help you get the best care. So knowing about the available treatments will help you make informed decisions with your provider. And this can be things like understanding how lesions can flare up based on weather, like cold, dry weather, which irritants can potentially cause flare-ups, which foods and diets can cause lesions to worsen, and how flares can actually get worse 
after an illness like a cold or some other kind of upper respiratory infection. Even injuries such as cuts, even by shaving, burns, or tattoos, which is actually called Kubner's phenomenon, can actually worsen lesions in some patients. And that can occur in up to 75% of the time in patients with psoriasis. But also knowing about your disease state and treatment will help as you read information on the internet that may or may not be true, especially if it's not from trained medical professionals. You may even get advice from well-meaning friends. And so if you have some knowledge of your disease state, what causes the lesions to worsen and what appropriate treatments will be, then you'll know really what is fact or fiction and what you should try or stay away from. So sometimes we hear psoriasis referred to as an autoimmune disease, which we know it's not. Can you please explain why psoriasis is an immune-mediated disease versus an autoimmune disease? What's the difference there? That's also a really great question. Immune-mediated inflammatory diseases is really any group of condition or diseases that lack a definitive etiology or a cause. They're characterized by common pathways in the body that can lead to inflammation. And this can result from or be triggered by a lack of regulation of an normal immune response. And how that's different from an autoimmune disease is an autoimmune disease is a condition that results from your own immune system. So it mistakenly targets and attacks healthy functioning parts of your body as if they were foreign objects. So immune-mediated inflammatory diseases and autoimmune diseases are treated differently in terms of the therapy and the target of that therapy that works. During a visit, a patient might hear their healthcare provider mention comorbidities in relation to psoriatic disease. Could you explain what comorbidities mean and how they might impact treatment? Sure. Psoriasis is associated with several comorbidities, which means having another disease along with psoriasis. People with psoriasis have an increased risk of developing at least one comorbidity, probably because of the interplay of genes and your immune cells. Elevated cytokine levels, which those are like cells that are linked to inflammation due to a hyperactive immune system, can trigger harmful levels of inflammation throughout the entire body, which can disrupt some of your organs and cause other medical conditions. So common comorbidities with psoriasis can include psoriatic arthritis, diabetes or high blood sugar, cardiovascular or heart disease, hypertension or high blood pressure, anxiety and depression, or inflammatory bowel disease and even cancer. And also having one or more of these comorbidities may determine which therapy for your psoriasis that you can receive. For example, in a patient like myself who has a history of melanoma, there are certain biologics that I cannot take. So it's important that your provider have an accurate history to help you and your provider make the best informed therapy decision for you and what your comorbidities may be. So I want to now turn to a discussion about medications. What are the key questions someone should ask when prescribing new treatment for psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis? That's a great question for a pharmacist. When you are provided a new medication, it is important that you know the name of the medicine and why you need to take the medicine. For example, you might be given one medication that should be put on one certain part of your body, but another medication that should be put on a different part of your body. So it would be important to know which cream do I put on my face versus which ointment do I put on my arms and legs. Also, ask what is the expected effect on your body? Like, will the drug help to decrease itching? Will it help decrease my scales or both? 
So that would be important to know, as would knowing when is the medication going to begin to work. And this is really important because sometimes we find that medications don't work after a certain period of time. So we need to know how long is appropriate to wait before you decide if this just is not the right medication for you. For example, topical steroids can work pretty quickly to decrease the itching and the scales, whereas a topical agent like calcipatriene might take more like six to eight weeks. It's also very important that you know how to take the medication. So like I just mentioned, where exactly do I put it? Do I put it only on my face or not on my face at all? Do I put it on the lesions on my feet or my hands? And also, can I put it in more sensitive areas like my face, but not necessarily near my eyes or in my ears or in your underarms? These are common places we have psoriatic lesions. Some medications are too strong to be used in certain what we call sensitive areas, whereas some medications and some ointments are very appropriate for the thick soles of your feet. Also, storing your medications is a fair question to ask. For example, creams and ointments can be stored in dry, cool places, but most biologics or injectable medications, they almost always have to be stored in the refrigerator. So those would all be important questions to ask, as well as anything else you can think of or concerns that you have about the medication. And what about the discussion of risks or side effects versus benefits when taking a specific medication? What should that conversation look like? Yes, this is why, again, it's important to have an open, informed conversation about potential side effects of the medication. Be careful about what you read on the internet about the effects that medications can have. You might just convince yourself you have every side effect of a medication. Like, for example, headaches is a side effect listed for every medication on the market. Another example would be some topical medications. They can cause red skin or what we call thin skin. And honestly, that is to be expected as in the case of steroids. Just make sure that you understand what side effects you might experience and know that some will subside over time. Some medications do have lab work that may need to occur about once every six months or up to a year. Like if you're on a biologic, you might have to have a TB test at least once a year. Or some medications, you might have to have your white blood cell count checked once every six months or a year. So it's important to ask your provider to clarify what's expected for you to be able to continue on a medication long-term. The good thing is many of these medications have been on the market for many, many years. So generally we know what to expect. We understand what side effects might happen. Most importantly, we understand how we can minimize them, like what steps we can take to minimize side effects and what monitoring can you follow over the long-term to make sure that you're healthy over the lifetime of you being on this medication. So Kim, can you help us identify some of the terms and what they mean for when to take medications that are frequently used by either a healthcare provider or pharmacists, such as BID, TID, HS, QAM, or QID? Yes. When providers and practitioners write prescriptions, either on paper or electronically, they use thing called SIGs, which is the Latin word for signature, which means let it be labeled. But basically, they're directions that are short scripted. So, for example, BID is twice a day or TID is three times a day, whereas QID is four times a day. You might also see QHS, which is at bedtime. But in the end, the label on your bottle or tube 
or medication in general should say the full directions. If you have any questions, be sure to ask your pharmacist when you get your prescription to ensure that you fully understand how many times a day you should use this product. If you get home and realize you still don't understand, don't hesitate to call and ask for clarification. If it seems different than what your provider told you when you were in the office or for your appointment, there may have been a clarification between the prescriber and the pharmacist, so you can ask for clarification. For medications specific to psoriasis, they often say apply as needed. So basically, this might mean to apply your cream or ointment only to your affected lesions, ensuring that you wash your hands afterwards. Most creams and ointments are applied generally once or twice a day, so that should be a pretty common way to take a medication for psoriasis lesions. In terms of biologics or the injectable medications, it would be important to note how often those medications should be given since they are given at different times than ointments or creams, for example. Most biologics, after an initial starting dose, are given anywhere between 4, 8, and 12 weeks apart, and so they would be an injection just one time every few weeks, depending on which actual medication that you're on. Again, refer to your label for the specific schedule of when you should be taking your injection. Thank you. And it's actually a great segue into our next question. Could you explain the difference between a biologic and a biosimilar, which we're hearing a lot about lately? What terminology should listeners be familiar with around the use of biosimilars? So a biologic and a biosimilar are not the same thing. A medication called a biologic is a drug or a vaccine made from a living organism. After a biologic is approved as an official FDA-approved drug, then a biosimilar might be developed, which is not really a generic, but a similar medication to the reference originator or parent product made from living cells that target a specific protein in the development of psoriatic disease. So a biosimilar has gone through similar approval as its originator or parent biologic after it was made. The brand name might not actually alert you if it's a biosimilar, but a way to tell is if you see the generic name of a medication that's a biologic, it will have the same originator or parent name, a hyphen, and then a four-letter unique ending. So for example, adalibumab has several biosimilars available. And Two of them, for example, are adalibumab-ATTO or adalibumab-AATY. And fliximab is another example of a medication that is available as several different biosimilars, again, with the four-letter unique ending after a hyphen. Now, these biosimilars may be less expensive than their parent due to a streamlined development process, but the process to make them is still very complex and has a good deal of regulatory requirements to ensure they have the same action safety, and efficacy in patients. So again, a good conversation with your provider about the pros and cons of changing your medication if considering a biosimilar switch would definitely be in order. So are there certain medications, either prescriptions or over-the-counter, that could conflict or are contraindicated for use with psoriatic disease? You mentioned comorbidities earlier associated with psoriatic disease that could potentially have treatment options that impact medications for psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. Yes, there are actually many medications which can unfortunately worsen psoriatic lesions. Some antibiotics or what we call beta blockers for your heart or your blood pressure, like metoprolol or drugs generally that end in can be used with caution in patients with psoriatic lesions. 
Other medications that are also for your heart are a class of drugs called calcium channel blockers like diazepam or nifedipine. Those can also be used as blood pressure drugs, but some of them can end in the word pril, like enalapril or captopril. And those have also been associated with an increase in psoriatic lesions in some patients. Some commonly available medications that many of us take for heartburn or acid reflux, like famotidine, goes by the name Pepsid, that are sold without a prescription and very easy to get, can also worsen lesions in some patients. But please note that omeprazole, which goes by the brand name Prilosec, or that purple pill that goes by the brand name of Nexium, has actually not been shown to worsen lesions. So if you are having heartburn or acid reflux, there is another class of drugs that might be safer to use in a patient who has psoriasis. There are some pain medications like morphine or even some aspirin products that can worsen your lesions. And some medications that we use for depression, like fluoxetine or lithium, have also been associated with worsening lesions in some patients with psoriasis. Sometimes quick and abrupt removal of a medication, like an oral steroid like prednisone or, for example, a Medrol dose pack, can cause lesions to worsen in some patients. So that's something to note if you're having to come off of a steroid product. You would definitely want to slowly withdraw it if you're taking oral steroids to prevent worsening of the lesions. And lastly, there may be some diabetes medications that can worsen your lesions, not really insulin, but more of the older oral medications. So just be sure to check with your healthcare provider if your lesions do get worse when taking some of these diabetes medicines, because in the situation of particularly medications for diabetes or your heart or blood pressure, those would be drugs that you would not just want to stop if your psoriasis lesions are getting worse, but definitely you would want to have a good conversation with your healthcare provider who can check to make sure what other options would be available. And your pharmacist can also help you too. Each time you get on a new medication, you would want to make sure all your providers know about current medications that you're using to ensure no drug interactions, but also that you're not put on a drug that can worsen your lesions. I'd also like to mention that some herbal products can potentially worsen psoriatic lesions. So when you're ever asked what medications you are, make sure you include all herbal supplements. So what I'm hearing is, in addition to understanding your disease, it's probably a good idea to stay aware of what new medications are coming. Do you have an example of such new medications? And how can someone stay up to date on what's coming? So that's a great question, and it's a very exciting time in psoriasis research right now because there are many new classes of agents that are coming out. We have with topical PD-4 inhibition with rifrimilast or Zorvi is a new cream that's now available, but also there have been a few new pathways in the body that have been discovered as targets for psoriasis treatment. So that could be, for example, inhibiting something called JAK with upacitinib or Rinvoke for psoriatic arthritis, or perhaps inhibiting tyrosine kinase with Sotictu, which is an oral medication. And lastly, there's another target therapy for aryl hydrocarbon receptor agonists with Tepenorov or Vitama, and it's applied once a day. So there are so many new areas that are coming out and new targets that are being developed for psoriasis treatment. And a great place to watch would be psoriasis.org to get the most recent updated information about what could be available in a pharmacy near you soon. 
And should a conversation also include discussion about the potential impact on lifestyle? And if so, what questions should someone ask? Yes, definitely. As a part of your conversation with your provider and or pharmacist, lifestyle impacts would definitely be important to include. You would really want to ensure that you know which medications can be taken with food, particularly with fatty foods or before or after meals. For example, a primalast should definitely be taken with food due to the incidence of it causing gastrointestinal upset. Some medications, particularly pain medications that might be used for psoriatic arthritis, can be sedating, and thus patients would really want to be careful about driving when taking those types of medications. Also, the biologic or injectable agents can put you at risk for infections, so you would have to be closely monitored over time, and especially when around others who are ill, and have your laboratory values checked every now and then, as we've already once talked about. Also, topical medications, some of them can actually make your skin more light sensitive. So you need to use caution when you're in the sun and ensure that you use good sunscreen, which we should always be doing anyway. So these are really good questions to be asking your provider, even a pharmacist after you leave your provider's office. And in relation to use of medications, when should someone contact their doctor or their pharmacist? You should contact your provider, which can include your pharmacist, if you have any questions or are confused about the use of your medications, any bothersome side effects that may affect your ability to be compliant with the medication, and if so, is it safe to stop the medication? If the medication looks different than what it used to the last time you filled it, that would be a great question for the pharmacist, as the manufacturer may have changed the dosage form, especially in the case of a generic drug. Also, pharmacists are perfectly poised to help with questions about insurance coverage and even patient assistance programs for expensive medication and ways to decrease the cost of your medications. So, Kim, we're almost at time here, but before I let you go, I just want to ask, do you have any final comments or tips to help our listeners with using medications or how they communicate with their healthcare providers or pharmacists? Yes, I actually do have a couple of last-minute thoughts. With topical ointments, there are so many alternatives to consider. For example, the type, like within the steroid class or multiple other classes. So not only topical steroids, but other topical classes like tacrolimus, pemacrolimus, or calcipatrine. But then there's also important differences in the dosage form, as in the cream versus the ointment, the foam, or the gel. So for example, ointments are typically better than creams in that they penetrate the skin better. Gels, foams, and sprays can feel good, but they don't generally penetrate lesions as well as creams and ointments do. So this can be helpful to know for a few reasons. One is you can use a less potent steroid like hydrocortisone or mimetazone cream in more sensitive areas like your face, your ears, or your genitals. But you can use a more potent steroid like betamethasone in a cream, for example, in more hard to penetrate areas like your arms or your legs. But if you have really thick lesions on your knees or elbows or the soles of your feet, you can use a very strong betamethasone ointment, which is really our highest penetrating topical agent in terms of steroid. So really, there's so many fun things to know about the different therapies for psoriasis that any healthcare provider would be happy to help you with. Kim, thank you so much for being here with us today and providing such useful tips to help our listeners learn more about communicating with their healthcare providers. For more tips and information about your treatment options, contact our Patient Navigation Center at 800-723-9166 
or email education.psoriasis.org to request a free guide to psoriatic disease, which includes use of key terminology. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Ghana, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.